Welcome to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Matt Sherry. Another great weekend of college football has passed. That, unless you are a Penn State fan, is a true statement. We shall get to the decision in a moment. We'll look at whether Notre Dame are now a lock for the playoff, ask if Clemson aren't as good as the sum of their parts, assess the rise of Kentucky and the fall of Mississippi State, and preview a weekend in which there's three games where top 25 teams play each other, including the most anticipated Red River showdown in years. But the only place to start really is State College, the Whiteout, Penn State, Ohio State. Matthew, how did the Nittany Lions lose this game? I have no idea. I mean, you have to give Ohio State some credit. Um, it starts with them essentially showing the, the, the mental toughness to drive down the field twice at the end of the game and, and and get the win. But, I mean, the amount of opportunities that Penn State wasted in this game is, is it beggars belief, really. They dominated the game in the first half and and from memory, I think it was it was a close game at that point when it, when it really should have been out of sight. Penn State dominated early and what they needed to do in that atmosphere was just get up on Ohio State and, and essentially act like a python and constrict them for the rest of the game. But it never happened. And despite Dwayne Haskins having a really bad game throughout, Ohio State were able to lean on the running game at the end and win it. And then, obviously, as you mentioned, there is the decision, which James Franklin's explained it for, for people who haven't seen it. It was fourth and five. Penn State were, were a point behind around midfields, driving for the last drive of the game to try and either get a field goal or a, or a touchdown to win the game. It was fourth and five. Trace McSorley had had an incredible evening. Great game from the quarterback. And they ran this inside handoff fake read option play that I, I don't know even sure there was the option for McSorley to keep and he just he, he just got stoned straight in the middle. And it was James Franklin's explanation for it makes a bit of sense in terms of the look they've had. And, and I've seen players like this before on third night where teams do this and they gain the yards easily. However, the game Trace McSorley had had to take the game out of his hands is, is insane. Me and you chatted on Sunday, Sam, and the thing I said to you is, even if you think that is the right call, the inside handoff there, you have one opportunity there to, to convert the play and that's Ohio State essentially parting and giving you an easy gap for five yards. If you give the ball to McSorley and run some kind of RPO, you've got the standard play, the, the standard pass play, you've got McSorley's legs, and then you've got McSorley's legs in two ways because you can either he can either run for the first down or he can scramble around and made a play in the way that he has all night. So it, it was genuinely the worst play call I've ever seen, especially given what had happened in the game, which was Trace McSorley taking the Nittany Lions on his back and, and carrying them to what should have been a, a, a huge victory in a, in a season-changing one. I mean... These are the kind of games that you just don't get over quickly if you're Penn State. They'll be thinking about this for a lot of years. Their route to the playoff now is is almost completely blocked. It was, their route it's to gone. The division is blocked. I mean, it's gone. And their, their whole season in terms of their biggest expectations are over because I, mean, I was trying to think. I think the only way they could get to the playoff, well, to get to the big Big Ten championship game as a starting point, would be Michigan would need to beat Ohio State and then. They would Penn State would need to beat Michigan at, at Michigan. So one, I don't think Michigan have any chance of winning in at Ohio State. And two, I mean maybe they can beat Michigan on the road. But so many things have to go right. And even then, you're only tied atop the division. So it's no guarantee that you get you get there from your side of the Big Ten. So 
it was it was a season changing play call and, and a dreadful one. When they were up twenty six fourteen, I mean they were up twenty six fourteen in the fourth quarter. To to lose from that position is astonishing. The play call, obviously, they only rushed for Ohio State, but they knew what was coming, which was the fascinating thing. And that they looped Chase Young inside, and he made the tackle. Trace McSorley had four hundred and sixty five total yards on on that evening. Just an astonishing number, a school record. And I think you talk about Penn State and whether or not even being tied for the division if they, you know, if they uh, beat Ohio State on the road and then Michigan beat Ohio, uh, if they beat um, Michigan on the road and Michigan beat Ohio State, I think the, the the close victory over Appalachian State would would still stop them from from getting any further. I think that the pollsters would look at that and think you only just managed to scrape by an Appalachian State side that would knock you knock you out. Tell me a bit about talk to me a little bit about Ryan Day because. Obviously, he was head coach for the first three games whilst Urban Meyer was suspended. I think he was the key to the game, actually. And you look at the flip side, Ricky Rahn, the Penn State offensive coordinator who called that horrendous play at the end, was kind of the the villain. I think the hero of the day would have to be Ryan Day because at halftime, Penn State had spent the entire first half in Dwayne Haskins' grill. He'd looked... I mean, it was a fascinating insight into what happens when you finally get pressure on Dwayne Haskins because he, he, he just looked like a, just a guy, didn't he? Just looked very ordinary. And what Ryan Day did at halftime was instead of those sort of five-step dropbacks and looking for looking for people down the field, it was, you know, two-step drops, get the ball out really quickly, little screen passes, tunnel screens, flares, quick outs, those sorts of things to slow down the Penn State rushing attack. And it worked, didn't it? Because it just enabled Ohio State not only to run the ball, but it also enabled, you know, it meant Penn State took a player out of the box because finally they were getting some traction going in the in the passing game. A, a terrific, a terrific half from Ryan Day and just kind of underlines what we said earlier on in this podcast a couple of weeks ago about his uh, clearly going to be moving up either to a to a, a college head, head coach position or potentially an NFL head coach position because he uh, he's clearly one of the finest coordinators working in the game. Yeah, he is. And, and I think this game was an illustration actually in coaching of, of how difficult Ohio State are go, going to be to beat because we've mentioned before they have a, they have this all, all-star coaching cast. They've got Ryan Day who is a head coach in Wayton and, and again, I believe, could have had the Mississippi State job this summer. They've got Greg Schiano, who, I mean, look where Rutgers are now compared to where they were when he was in charge of them. Uh, former NFL head coaches, their defensive coordinator. And, and at the end of the game, it comes down to coaching. James Franklin, I think, is a great head coach in college football. But there's a difference between being a program builder in college football and making the right decisions in the, on the sideline with two minutes to go in a game. And I think that experience that Ohio State having that staff is is difficult to beat. And we always say about one of the things that people say about the Patriots in the NFL is the way they make halftime adjustments. And we saw that in this game from Ohio State, who their only their only touchdown drive in the opening half was, was off a turnover on a short field. And then they opened the second half, driving the length of the field, and you see these screen passes against the blitz. And, and it was... It was the difference between having a good game plan and having good adjustments to the game plan. Ohio State didn't necessarily have the best game plan, but they were able to see what changed and then adjust. And they were able to, Penn State weren't able to do that. I mean, the the things that worked for Ohio State on their first drive in the second half were the things that worked for Ohio State at the end of the game because Penn State didn't adjust. They kept Blitz and Haskins on third down and they kept throwing screen passes off of that. And, and converting and Dwayne Haskins astonishingly for a team who had 
the last two drives for touchdowns to win a game. Dwayne Haskins wasn't even good at the end of the game. It wasn't like Haskins was terrible all game and then we see quarterbacks all the time take the team on their back at the end of the game when it really matters and deliver. That never happened in this game. Dwayne Haskins, I thought, struggled throughout the game and it was a testament to Ryan Day that they ultimately got the win because it was his coach and it was his play calling. It was him his, him simplifying things for the quarterback and opening up the holes for the running game that made the change in the game. It's fascinating. People come into college football maybe this season and, and they look at that and they say... Well, Trace McSorley would clearly be an NFL quarterback and Dwayne Haskins clearly wouldn't be. And it's, it's interesting just to point out that McSorley probably would end up being a kind of Taysom Hill type character at the New Orleans Saints. Haskins potentially could be a first overall pick. But you, you might look at that game and think, I, I don't see any reason why. But it's it's about systems, isn't it? It's about size. It's about arm strength. It's about accuracy. That's probably the most important thing. I don't yeah, think- absolutely. And I, I think... This could be good news for Ohio State fans, this game, because I think it was heading towards Haskins coming out at the, at the next draft. And I think a game like this, unless he goes for the rest of the army in the play at Michigan State, Simon, a game that we'll be at in a, in a month or so's time, they've got Michigan at home. So there are opportunities for him to kind of reclaw some of what he's lost in draft stock. But you have to think that maybe he looks at it and thinks, actually, I could do with another year of development under a very good coaching staff. Because if Ryan Day stays at Ohio State, he might be getting better coaching than he'll get at most NFL teams yep. from Herbert Meyer and Ryan Day. I mean, Ryan Day also turned down the opportunity to be the Tennessee Titans as offensive coordinator this offseason. So mm. that shows what people in the NFL think of his acumen. So I think it, it might work out in the long run. This, this kid is still very talented and he may haven't thought about declaring at the end of this year, actually decide another year at Ohio State is what's best for him. Let's get to South Bend because that was where the other big game of the weekend was. Number seven against number eight, Stanford against Notre Dame. And this essentially was the defeat that Stanford should have had a week ago, isn't it, against Oregon? Because it was very, very comfortable for the Irish. Um, and Stanford essentially eliminated it, we think, probably from, from, from the college football playoff. Ian Book who's come in for Brandon Wimbush at quarterback for Notre Dame, uh, has really changed their fortunes. He fits perfectly into Brian Kelly's offense, and he just had another really, really efficient game, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think Ian Book is a season changer for, for Notre Dame because I, I do think there was, a, there was a limit to where Brandon Wimbush could take them. And that limit was that when you played a really good team, I, I think that the only way you can win it is by edging a close game, which is what happened on the opening game against Michigan. I think it's a different story with Ian Buck. They they blew Stanford out in this game. It was close up until half-time, and then Notre Dame took it straight down the field after the the break, and that was it. They just just blew doors after that. And they look a much better team, Notre Dame. I mean, they've just lost their star centre to injury for the rest of the year. I think that's going to be a bitter, bitter blow, but... I've been really, really impressed with what Brian Kelly has done this year. And I mentioned the score just after halftime. They've generally started games really well as well, which I always think is a sign of good coaching. It means you've got a good plan going into the game. And the Notre Dame offense in particular at the start of games has been really, really good. I mean, think back again to that Michigan game. They won that game in the first 10 minutes of the game. It was down the field twice against a good defense, 17-0 up early, and that was too big a hole to go back on that defence. They, they hold all the cards now. and they've got they're, they're, Their toughest test over the rest of the season is this Saturday, and it's not one that's insurmountable. If they win this week, they should be in the playoffs. They really should be. Um, they got really good performances as well, didn't they, from two 
players on either side of the ball apart from Book. Dexter Williams, the running back, had 166 yard rushing. And then Jerry Tillery, the big defensive tackle, who'll be a first round pick next April when he, if, if he declares. Two excellent performances from two sort of unheralded players when you look at, you know, all the fuss that's made about quarterbacks and things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the running back position is fascinating for Notre Dame because they use a lot of guys there. And it shows that there is that depth of talent at Notre Dame that maybe people don't associate with it. What I find fascinating about a team like Notre Dame is, check the recruiting rankings this year. There won't be, there won't be many, if any, five-star recruits. They, draft, they, they, they recruit a lot of kids, three- and four-star guys, a lot of good players, and then they develop them into really good players. And I, I just think Brian Kelly was on the hot seat a couple of years ago. They had a real bad time of things with Deshaun Kaiser, the quarterback, was... Uh, I don't think dealt with the situation well. He can be really prickly. But the last two years, I think it was one loss last year, and they're almost certainly going to have an unbeaten season this year. And I think the absolute key is that I could have seen an unbeaten Notre Dame with Winbush as the starter not get in the playoff. It would have been tough, but I could see it because they'd have won a lot of close games and they wouldn't have beaten a team who you would say are top five calibre. But now... They're beating teams comfortably and they're going to have an unbeaten record. And I think that makes them a lock for the playoffs. They really do. Yeah, because Williams, going back to the running back position, Williams had sort of had an unofficial suspension, hadn't he, from Brian Kelly. But the, the, there was the injury to, to Jafar Armstrong, who had, a, I think he had a knee infection, um, which caused him to miss the game. But he's played well, you know, when he's been given the ball. Tony Jones has played well. I think he's he's he, he's looked good in, in you know, smaller doses. Ian Book himself had 15 carries in this game. Avery Davis, the, the sophomore running back who played a little bit against Michigan. I, I think you're right. The, the, the injury to Alex Bars, the, the center who tore his ACL and his MCL, will hurt Notre Dame moving forwards. But like you say, the, the path is clear because they, I think Virginia Tech is the only ranked team that they play the rest of the way. They'll obviously play Florida State, which you'd have thought from the, you know earlier in the season or before the season might have been a big game. It won't be. Northwestern gave Michigan some trouble. Um, at the weekend so you know they're, they're no pushovers Pat Fitzgerald one of the best coaches in college football but really the path is clear and you can't really see a scenario in which the, the, the playoff committee would rule out an unbeaten Notre Dame from being in that final four because I just don't think I, I just think the pull of Notre Dame is too big the only interesting other games are that they play Syracuse and I think it's at Yankee Stadium so that'll be an interesting one Syracuse are a really decent team who do certainly pushed Clemson all the way last week, which we'll discuss. And then they're at USC, last game of the season. Now, USC aren't looking great, but they have a true freshman quarterback. You think that they're a team who could get better as the season goes along. So so that could end up being the one that's tricky. But they, a lot of these games, are, it, it's an ideal scenario. A lot of these games are against big brand teams, USC, Florida State, who aren't that good. Now, that is a good thing to have at the end of the season because those teams will still maybe outside of Florida State, certainly USC will still have a winning record and it, it's a good win on the road. Let's talk about one of the most exciting teams in college football, not necessarily in terms of the, the product they put on the field, but just in terms of what's happening for a university. Lexington, Kentucky, home of the Wildcats. Sorry, I was eating my breakfast. Um, now, up, <laughs> now up to 13 in the nation. They, uh, another good win at the weekend, unbeaten, and all roads essentially now lead. I mean, the difficult game at the weekend that we'll talk about later on against Texas A&M, but all roads leading to November 3rd, and that showdown for the SEC East against Georgia. 
in Lexington. And it's not inconceivable, given the way that they play the game, given the way that Benny Snell runs the ball, that very, very good defense, uh, you know, led by Josh Allen, the fantastic linebacker who's won three or five SEC Defensive Player of the Week awards already this season. It's not inconceivable, A, that they could win that. And if they do, you're essentially looking at Kentucky in the SEC Championship game, which would be phenomenal, given where Mark Stoops has brought that program from. Incredible. I mean, they're a basketball school and they they, they, they basically always will be. And it's funny how your opinion changes over the course of a season. Uh, when they beat Florida State, we we came on here and ripped Florida State. Uh, not Florida State, Florida, sorry. And uh, now Florida are phone one, have just won in Mississippi State, a team who are now lost two in a row. And Kentucky are 5-0 and and you're thinking... Actually, what happened here is Dan Mullen is probably having a really nice first year in Florida based on expectations at 4-1. But he was beaten by a team who might be the biggest surprise package in college football this season. It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see where this goes for them. But we can't count anything out. I mean, they're kind of built to to win these games. They lean on a great running back and a great defence. Now... Deep in the season, that can take you a long way and can be difficult to beat. And the key is the big game on the schedule against Georgia. They're at home, and that's that's so important late in the game, late in the season in these big games. And who would have thought that we'd have looked at that showdown between Kentucky and Georgia as potentially one of the biggest games in college football this season? But that just shows how how impressive a rise it's been. I mean, I said we talked to I said we talk about it in a little bit, but it's hard not to ignore the fact that if they win this game and they are on the road, so they're going to Carfield and all that comes with that in terms of the stadium and and what that means. But if they do win that, they will probably be ranked in the top ten. I suspect. I'm not sure they match up. You know, Texas A&M are, are, are a good team. The only two losses on their schedule this season have been to Clemson. Very close game that they lost in the final minute, and to Alabama, and they were really the only team that gave Alabama any sort of test, at least for a, for a half. Are A and M a good team on a tough schedule, or are they? Are they? You know, you know what I'm trying to say. Are they? Given that their two losses have come against two of the three best teams in the country, yeah. are they a really good team? Or the fact that you know they've won games, they've not looked overly convincing. Is is Jimbo Fisher getting by on the strength of the fact that they lost those two games? You know, is it a bit of smoke and mirrors? I suppose I'm trying to say. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I would say I think we'll find out, but then that underestimates that Kentucky could be one of the best six teams in the country. So. I think we'll find out later in the season. I, I don't think we're going to know ahead of this weekend, and I certainly don't think we're going to know after this weekend. But I just look at this resume now for for Kentucky. They beat Florida fairly handily. I mean, twenty-seven mm. sixteen. They've, they've not had a game. They've not because yeah. they've dominated. I mean, Mississippi State doesn't look as impressive given that they laid another egg against Florida last week. But they were unbeaten and blown doors, and they beat them twenty-eight-seven. Now you could argue that. What Kentucky actually did was showed the way to beat Mississippi mm. State, which comes back to good coaching. I think we'll learn a lot about them in this game because it's a big road game. And I mean, imagine if Kentucky go in there and look more impressive than Clemson did. Mm. I mean, which is very possible. That was a close game that Clemson could easily have, have not won. It's going to be fascinating because we don't really know. I think that's what makes it so interesting. We, we know that Kentucky have been really good. We think that they've got a formula that in big games should take them a long way, which is a great experienced defence who does everything right and a great running game. 
can they do that at Texas A&M? That's the key, I think. It's on the road. But, I mean, the wood in Gainesville and Florida are now 4-1. So, I mean, I wouldn't. would you count them out at this point? I certainly wouldn't. No. I would put them as favourites entering that game. I mean... You can't just keep ignoring the evidence because it's Kentucky. I think they're definitely favourites. I think the one concern for me, if I was a Kentucky fan, is that Texas A&M lead the nation, uh, lead the SEC, sorry, in terms of yards given up against the run. They only give up 85 yards per game. You've got Benny, Benny Snell, a uh, Heisman candidate running back. If Benny Snell gets shut down, you're essentially putting the game on the shoulders of Terry Wilson. And, uh, and I yeah. wonder whether or not, although the Aggies are not particularly good defending the pass, I wonder whether Terry Wilson is good enough to take the game on his shoulders. Conversely, I think that Kentucky's defense is good enough to to shut down Texas A and M. I think if 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 Kentucky can get, can get that running game going, I think that's the way that they that's the way that they win the game. It should be. I think fast. this is the kind of game where if any team gets into the twenties, yeah. That'll be you touched upon Mississippi State there. They lost the Dan Mullen Bowl. Mullen returning back to back to that incredible stadium that we we so enjoyed last year when we were there. Um, lost to Florida it, it wasn't even particularly close and this is a Mississippi State State team who two weeks ago were unbeaten as you just said now lost two games on the bounce what's gone wrong with Nick Fitzgerald because he came into the season it was talked about as a potential NFL quarterback he has not performed at all in, in, in Joe Muirhead's office, uh, offense and we, you really thought he would and, and it's almost getting to the time now where if you're a Mississippi State fan you're almost looking for you know, Katie on Thompson to who's the backup to to potentially take over from a guy who was one of the most fun players to watch in college football and who had a potentially bright NFL future and it just hasn't clicked for him at all, has it? I just think you've got to give it. It, it illustrates, and we said this at the start of the season. What a great coach when it comes to quarterback Stan Mullen is. I mean, this this guy's track record is incredible. Now back to I think he was heavily involved with Florida when Tim Tebow was there. Dak Prescott and and Fitzgerald when he was there looked as you say like a potential future NFL quarterback and and Felipe Franks who's not a great quarterback by any stretch is playing acceptable football for Florida at the moment so Joe Moorhead came in as a as a great offensive coordinator from Penn State who I think people could th- thought could at least keep Mississippi State at that level but it, it isn't easy Mullen is Mullen's a great coach and I think I think that's where I would look at. I like Fitzgerald as a talent, and if I was an NFL team, I'd be interested in certainly getting him into the building and working with him because I think there's things to work with there. But I just think it shows the value of a great offensive coach. I mean, look at in the NFL, Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Look how that looks now. I mean, and and look how it looks for Matt Ryan since Kyle Shanahan left Atlanta. This coaching is huge, and I, and I think that's the first place I would look for for the reasons Nick, Nick Fitzgerald doesn't quite look the same player. Talking about quarterbacks, how? It looks like Trevor Lawrence will play this weekend, knocked out of the game with what turned out to be a neck strain rather than a concussion. It looked a very nasty injury. Chase Bryce came in and just about did enough, drove, I mean, to give him credit, he drove Clemson down the field at the end of 94 yards, converting that critical fourth down play to keep that the driver alive. Okay. I mean, he, he was only really asked to make one big throw yeah. in the game, but he made it. So. Yeah, great performance by Travis Etienne, the, the running back with 202 yards rushing. They squeak past Syracuse. How good are Clemson? Because it feels like if one team is going to drop out of the top four, they look like the ones who, who who have lots of great players, but look like they could fall away fairly quickly if you know if they get. Pre- I, I, ultimately, I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody challenging Alabama, but I certainly don't think it would be Clemson, given how we've seen them play this season. I think at the start of the season, you'd have said absolutely, 
strength of that defensive line, the running game, the receivers, the, the, the talent at quarterback, it doesn't quite seem to have clicked for Clemson this season. Is that fair or do you think I'm being a bit harsh? No, it definitely hasn't clicked this season. A part of me wonders how much of that is because everybody is telling them that they're going to easily win their division and they're already in the playoff. And I think that's a tough thing to manage in a building as good a coach as Dabo Swinney, Swinney is. And and I th- actually think last week could be great for them because it allows Dabo to get into them and say, look, that's how close you were to your season ending. Because there's no way they were getting in the playoff with a home loss to Syracuse on their record. It came that close. You haven't done it, but... We need to step it up again now because the talent is. I mean, you say you don't think they compete with Alabama. If it does click for Clemson, they can definitely compete with Alabama. This is a team with one of the best defensive lines I've ever seen in college football. Travis Etienne is actually running back. I think could easily sit in that Jonathan Taylor Bryce Love class, but they don't use him as mm. much as you would expect for a running back that good. I think he's absolutely an amazing player. Trevor Lawrence is is a guy we're excited about who. It hasn't clicked for him completely yet, but you think that late in the season it could easily do that. So I think Clemson are the kind of team that they might shuffle into the playoffs like this, but no team wants to play against them. And if it does click, they're a real threat. And I still think they're one of the best two or three teams in the country, to be honest, because I think it will click. My only worry for them would be is that Miami, since they put this young kid in a quarterback, look a lot better than they looked in the opening week against LSU. So it's no guarantee that they can come out of the ACC. But I think Clemson haven't clicked yet, but I still think that they can and probably will. They they play Louisville. Um, they, sorry, they play Wake Forest this week. Then they play NC State, ranked 23rd. Florida State, obviously, should they should win. It's not a difficult schedule from, from, from that point on, though, is it? I mean, they don't play another ranked team. Like Louisville, Boston College... Duke and then South Carolina ahead of the ACC. It's almost like their first test will come in the ACC championship game, and potentially it it may only really come in the college. You, you you may only see because we haven't really seen what Trevor Lawrence is about, have we? I mean, we've seen him slinging four touchdowns against Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern, and playing well against Furman and uh, and doing well against Georgia Tech, but we've not seen him under pressure. We've not seen him you know, have to drop back and throw 40 passes a game and try and win a game. We've not seen him, you know, take the sort of beating physically and mentally that Dwayne Haskins took at the weekend. It's kind of waiting to see what Trevor Lawrence, I mean, we know what he is, but in terms of college football, it's waiting to see what he is and whether or not he can win a game like that and take Clemson deep into the playoff. And I'm disappointed he went out of that Syracuse game for that reason, because as much as, I mean, Syracuse were hardly up by 20 points when he left the game, but... They were behind, they were in a game, it would have been nice to see him come through that at a at a slightly lower level than we're talking about later in the season, but no, we haven't seen it at all. I mean, NC State could be an interesting game, I think they're still unbeaten, but it's at home, so they're probably going to win that. I think, as you say, you're looking at, probably they'll play Miami in the ACC Championship game, and you're looking at that being the, the game that we look at and think, right, we're going to finally find out what Clemson are late, that late in the season. I think that is is really an indication of how bad the ACC is this year. Awful. The, the, the shambles that is Florida State doesn't help that because they're kind of one of the true blue bloods who we, we expect to be good every year in that in that conference. Speaking very briefly about Florida State, another terrible decision, coaching decision, Bobby Petrino in that game literally had to call, you know, three running plays to, to get Florida State to burn their final two timeouts, kick a field goal. FSU would get the ball back with about 15 seconds left, having to drive the field to score a touchdown to win. Inexplicably, 
Petrino calls a pass play from his incredibly raw quarterback, and it's Jawan Pass, ironically named Jawan Pass. Um, and it was picked off. Florida State drive down the field five plays later. DeAndre Francois, who had an excellent game, throws a winning touchdown. Terrible decision by a man who really is one of the worst human beings in the world. I was going to say that. Really is a terrible, terrible <laughs> person, isn't he? I mean, but really is running out of good grace, I think, in terms of how Louisville fans, and kind of getting by on the Lamar Jackson era, really, in terms of the success yeah, that Jackson I mean, brought. This is, this is kind of what Bobby Petrino does, isn't it? He goes in, has a bit of success early, and then it fizzles out, and everybody gets sick of him. So I think that's happening now. Um, as you say, without Lamar Jackson, I'm not sure where this second spell at Louisville would have even been as good as it has been. And, Truthfully, it hasn't been amazing considering how good Lamar Jackson was. I wouldn't say completely maximise that situation. It's a weird scenario. I mean, the guy is essentially hiring his whole family as his coach and staff. I think his his kids, his brother-in-law. I mean, they're all involved one way or another. Um, I think he. I think Louisville is one of the one of the reasonably sized jobs that is open by the end of this year. Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, mate, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at LucasAid Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it. Right. Normally at this point, we would carry on talking about what happened at the weekend, but we have so much to talk about really in terms of this weekend. So many really good games, three games matching up teams in the top 25, which in itself is, you know, is very interesting. You've got Virginia Tech, 24th ranked Virginia Tech against 6th ranked Notre Dame. You've got um, Florida against LSU, which we'll get to in a moment. Obviously, you want to start with the with the Red River Showdown, which is Oklahoma, Texas, but also some other really interesting games out there. We talked about Texas A&M, Kentucky. I really like Colorado against Arizona State as well. Another really interesting game. But let's start with that with that Florida uh, with that Texas Oklahoma game. It should be a just a. It's one of the most intriguing battles. It's one of the most important Red River Showdowns in many years. In part because Texas are back in inverted commas at least this will validate if they can beat Oklahoma this will validate that Texas really are back and to be taken very very seriously on a national level because they could get into the playoff at this point Oklahoma coming off that big win last week seven touchdowns from Kyler Murray who's right back in the Heisman race interesting discussion yesterday between Todd McShay and and Mel Kuyper on ESPN about whether or not Murray would eschew the Major League Baseball. He was the ninth overall pick in the baseball draft to potentially turn pro and become an NFL quarterback given his incredible accuracy, his toughness, his arm strength, his ability moving around the pocket and the way that NFL, although he's small, the way that NFL offenses are certainly moving towards the sort of Kyler Murray type player that you see um, around the league these days. This should be a fascinating game, shouldn't it? And the kind of the game within the game, I talked about it in the column this week, Clancy on campus. You've got Hollywood Brown, the, the, the Oklahoma receiver, going up against Chris Boyd, likely to be a first-round pick, the, 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 Texas, uh, the Texas cornerback. You've got Brandon Jones, the strong safety, probably the, one of the 
one of the best players in you know in the conference, potentially the best player in the conference, really, in terms of what he's able to do. Very much a kind of a, a modern day safety, can play in the box, can play single high, can cover in the nickel, can go out and call him out. He's a bit like a Minka Fitzpatrick type of player. This should be a great game, shouldn't it? A really, really fascinating game and, and a test to see where Texas are and whether or not Tom Herman really has got these guys back. Yeah, and I think the Big 12 actually is probably more interesting than it's been in several years. And this is one of the the elite games towards the end of the schedule that we, we start to, well, middle to end, and we don't want to wish away the season yet, um, that we start to get excited about. And it's fascinating to me with Texas because Tom, Tom Herman's come in as an offen- offensive guru, a guy who you thought would have an offense like Oklahoma have. Uh, it hasn't worked out like that. And actually, they're relying massively on their defense now. They've they've transformed into this team who, traditional team almost, who control the offense and control the ball and then they, they turn the game over to their defense. I mean, you only have to look at last week. They got up on Kansas State 19-0, I think, and it was, I think it was a put a kick return touchdown early in the game that broke that game open. But then it ended 19-14 because the offense really couldn't make the drives it needed to make to sustain down the field and, and put the game out of sight. So... It's a different Texas team to what we were expecting under Tom Herman, but they're getting the job done. They've won four games on the bounce now. They're at home. This is the, this is almost the game where Tom Herman needs to announce, I'm here. I am Texas are back. I am the guy to take this forward because they're at home. Oklahoma are a really good team. This will be such a massive win for Tom Herman. And if they don't win it, being at home, I almost feel like you're not back to square one, but you're certainly closer to where you were in week one after the Maryland win than you were than you, than you are right now, which is ranked and people thinking perhaps they're an outside playoff chance. So I think this is one of the biggest games that Texas have had in several years. It will be a game that you can see this weekend on on ESPN Player. It is one of um, more than 700 games live and on demand this season, plus three channels simulcast direct from the US. ESPNU, the SEC Network, and the Longhorn Network. You've also got access to a great range of documentaries from ESPN from the from the 30 for 30 catalogue, including things like Roll Tide, War Eagle, Elway to Marino, Catholics to Convicts. Last week I told you that I'd, I was watching um, Brian and the Boz, which turned out to be just a fantastic documentary, just a really amazing documentary on a on a fascinating character in college football. Certainly during my youth, he was one of the kind of the names that resonated with me greatly, especially when he was at Oklahoma, won the Buckus declared for the draft, ended up in the supplemental draft, went to the Seahawks, played really, really well for the Seahawks and then injured his shoulder and essentially retired. It's a fascinating documentary. Two nights ago, I watched Rand University, which was about Randy Moss. Again, really interesting, great stories that I didn't know. And then last night, I started watching A Gospel Gospel According to Mac, which is... uh, uh, Coach McCarthy at Colorado going back and talking to all those players that he had in that great Colorado season when they won the national championship in 1989. I think Colorado would probably be my second favorite team in college football. If I, if I didn't support Florida State, man, I think I'd be a Colorado fan. And this is just, you know, going back it's into... It's a great part of the world, too, it is, by the way, it is. Colorado. Boulder looks an amazing city. But going back and, you know, Eric Bayenemy and Mike Pritchard and guys that went on, a, you know, Pritchard was a first-round pick of the Atlanta Falcons. Um you know, Chad Brown, the linebacker, all those kind of great players that he had, uh, Darian Hagan at quarterback. 
Um, just, just great. All of those kind of documentaries are available to you. Also, the five-part, incredible five-part O.J. Simpson documentary that won an Oscar, which is the greatest piece of television I've ever seen, and I include. The it's sub- also worth the subscription on it. Oh, it's uh, that good. unquestionably, and it is. It is better than The Sopranos, better than The Wire, better than Mad Men. Three of the things that I would go to bat for on any single day in terms of uh, televisual joy. So sign up. You get a free seven-day trial when you do so. It is well, well worth it. And, you know, on a, on a weekend, essentially what you can do when the games are on is literally just flick around from game to game. When the game that you're watching goes to commercial break, you can just flick onto something else. I'm just looking now at the games they've got coming up this weekend. I mean, it doesn't matter what you like. You know, Utah State, BYU. You've got Tulane, Cincinnati, Maryland, Michigan, Kansas, West Virginia. But it's not always the big teams. Either. You've got San Diego against Moorhead State in there. SC State against Morgan State. If you're a fan of the, if you're a fan of the, um, the the blue chip universities, you got Lehigh against Princeton, Marist against Columbia, but then all the big games as well. It is a great place to watch college football. LSU against Florida, Matt, number five ranked LSU. Florida now ranked. Uh, it is a. It's going to be an interesting game. Do you think it'll be a challenge for LSU? Given where they are, do you think it's one of those kind of, kind of trap games that they could um, they could struggle with, or do you think they'll they'll have enough? Uh, yeah, I think I think I think Florida are going to win this game. Uh, wow, I, I really like what LSU have done this year, but part of me does think it's a bit lightning in a bottle for a few weeks, and some of the things that I was worried about before the season will eventually rear their head. Maybe it isn't this week. Maybe it's against the bigger teams at home, but. I just think everyone is so looking now at that stretch of Georgia and Alabama at home that they could easily look beyond a very good Florida team on the road here. This would be a signature win for Dan Mullen, who we said has, has had a better start than, than people think. I've got a feeling Florida are going to win this. Um, it's just a feeling. I could be completely wrong. I hope I am to a degree because I really want those unbeaten games later on in the season at, at Tiger Stadium, which is such an awesome venue. But my, my big worry with LSU is, as much as I like Joe Burrow and what he's done at quarterback, he is a game manager quarterback. They're relying on a running game and a defence. That is a great formula late in the season, but it's also a formula that gives you one way to win a game, and that's to get up on a team... And I just think if you play another team with a good defence, you've got a chance of losing a close game on the road. And I think that could be one of those instances. And that's slightly unfair on Joe Burrow because he did make some great plays in that Auburn game where, where LSU did come back. So maybe I'm just panicking about, about it, but I've just got a little feeling Florida are going to win this week. I don't know if you've seen the little Twitter, not spat because it's that's exactly not what it is. The the lovely little Twitter tate a tate between uh, the hat Les Miles and, and and the visor Steve Spurrier, back and forth about who was going to win this game. Obviously, Spurrier used to coach Florida. Les Miles used to coach LSU. Um, just to kind of a, I think they had a bit of a sportsman's bet about this weekend. Uh, Miles tweeted, "Hey, at Steve Spurrier, how much do you want to bet that your Gators are going down this weekend?" Hashtag game on. To which um, Steve Spurrier replied, uh, "Les at Les Miles, shoot, we're going to win on Saturday. If we don't, I'll eat some of that grass of yours. When we do win, you'll be wearing my visor." Hashtag go Gators. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And just for people who didn't get the the reference on the grass. 
Um, Les Miles literally used to eat the grass on the <laughs> yes, field. He did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he did. Quickly, uh, on a, a really intriguing game, number 21 ranked Colorado against Arizona State, a team that we a team that we really thought was interesting in the start of the season then had that 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 big loss at the weekend a uh, big loss in the third weekend of the season um where do you see that one where do you see that one playing out because that, that that's a very interesting game isn't it because Colorado obviously a really good team Manny Wilkins the the Arizona State quarterback we talked about being a potential Heisman candidate earlier on in the season Stephen Montez looks like an NFL quarterback. He's got LaVisca Chenault to throw the ball to, the phenomenal wide receiver. It um, it should be a high-scoring game, shouldn't it? Because Montez has quietly turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Uh, Chenault has close, I think, on, close on 40 catches, 600 yards this season through the first four games. Colorado missed a game at the start of the season. Arizona State kind of exceeded expectations, I suppose. That that home upset win over Michigan State. Uh, they've been competitive in their... It, in their losses on the road against San Diego State and Washington. Um, it, it could be an interesting game, couldn't it? It's a defining game in the Pac-12 South yeah. as well because Arizona State, if they win this, take control of the South again and could, could actually get to the Pac-12 championship game and you, you would back them to do it if they win this game. Um, I think Arizona State have been about as unlucky as any team in, in college football this year. I mean, they've got they've got a great record. I mean... They've lost their two games by a combined 14 points. One of them was at Washington. To lose by seven points at Washington is is really impressive. San Diego State, we, we went over that a couple of weeks ago, the way there was that terrible call Awful. at the end of the Targeting game that cost them a chance to, to, to tie that right at the end. But Colorado have been one of the more impressive teams mm. in college football. I mean, they, they've got a great quarterback and a great, great wide receiver. Their defense is as as yet to give up more than twenty eight points. They've not really played anyone as yet, but they've looked impressive in every game. So this is it's a big test for Colorado. It gives us a real insight into what they are. And for Arizona State, it's it's last chance saloon in a season in which they've actually been really impressive and quite unlucky. So everything's on the line in this game because for Colorado, it's their unbeaten record. It's their credibility because, as I say, it's not like they've had a murderer's row of competition. Yeah. I think the, the, the win at Nebraska is better than it would look now because I think the, the Nebraska's players have given up on the season in a way that they hadn't then with, in what was the opening week for them. So I'm fascinated by this game. This, this actually could end up being one of the, maybe the best game of the weekend when all's said and done. It will be the one that everybody talks about, but it might actually be the best game. It's essentially the Pac-12 Pac South playoff isn't it really in terms yeah. of it's the, it's the Pac-12 South championship game you, you look at Colorado next week play USC then they've got the big one essentially really a sort of in-season Pac-12 championship game against against Washington um, on the 20th which which will be fascinating especially if, if Colorado can go in undefeated and they'll probably be you know if they beat Arizona State if they beat USC they may jump up into the teens maybe 17-18 so you could be looking at the, the 9th 10th ranked team against the 17th 18th ranked team which would be a, a, a fascinating matchup just um, just generally where are you in terms of this college football season how how do you see it how has it been is it as exciting as you hoped it would be does it look like, unfortunately, that Alabama is slightly going to run away with it because they're just significantly better than everybody else? Where are you positioning this season? I, I don't think Alabama are significantly better than everybody else, certainly late in the season. I mean, I, I think Alabama's defense is more gettable for a good team than it than it has been in years gone by. Um, I, I do worry that the, 
the tour next season, I think Alabama could be unbeatable. But I think they were a year away from that. I think it's been a great season. I mean, there's been some awesome games. That that game at College Station last weekend was was a great game that had everything. Things that you can talk about and criticise like we have earlier on, but also some great football by some great players. I mean, Trace, Trace McSorley would be top of the Heisman list if they'd won that game. And, and, and frankly, he's improved his chances just by his performance in that game. So I think it's been a great season. What I'd like to see is more of these unbeaten teams get, get to one loss because I think that brings a lot more teams into play. But what we've actually seen is a lot of the, a lot of the actual unbeaten teams have, have just won it at the end in close games. I've seen a lot of games where in previous years, Teams lose those games. I think Oklahoma against Army, Clemson, Texas A&M, and Syracuse. Um, and the only two that haven't really been in those games yet are, are Alabama and Georgia. So I think it's fascinating still. And I would just like to see a few O's go. I think once a few O's go, it brings a lot more teams into play and it makes other conferences a bit more exciting. And it brings, I mean, it brings everyone into play. It brings teams like Washington into play. It brings Michigan into play. It brings a lot of powerhouse Texas teams that have one loss into play. So I, I really want Notre Dame to lose this weekend, and that's a game we'll get on to because I think that opens everything up. Quick question before we move on to the Heisman. Um, in less than 30 seconds for an answer, please. Do you think that Alabama will be mired by the fact that they haven't played anybody of any consequence they haven't been in a game they haven't been into the fourth quarter they haven't found out how tough they could be um, when the game is on the line do you think that will hinder them when they play those massive games down the stretch in the SEC notably against Georgia and against LSU do you think they'll find themselves in the game and some of those young players will be like whoa okay we don't know what this is about because we've not been here the fact that they're killing everybody week after week looks great do you think it will have a detrimental effect on them when they get into a game uh, yeah, I mean, of course it will. This is a young team. It's not like they have all the seniors who are used to being in those big games. It's it's one of the younger Alabama teams that I can remember in terms of experience. There are some exceptions to that. Damian Harris springs to mind, but they've got a lot of young youth on the on the team, and yeah, I think it will affect them. And I, I think the third of November Tiger Stadium is the game that I'd look to for that. Let's go on to the Heisman Trophy then. Who would you have as your, give us your top five uh, as where you stand at the moment. I'll give you mine that I put in the column this week, but interested to see what your top five would be. Um, I'd I'd go to a number one because I I really don't think that you can, you can just dismiss a guy for not playing enough because that's why they're not playing. He's not playing enough because of how good he's been. So two are number one for me. Um, Kyler Murray, number two. Um, Mackenzie Milton I think number three Will Greer number four and Trace McSorley number five I think interesting interesting it's pretty close to mine I've got Tonga Vailoa at one uh, Kyler Murray two Will Greer three Dwayne Haskins at four um, and Trace McSorley at five and Haskins stays there essentially because they won the game and I know he wasn't yeah. perfect but he's been great up until that point if you hadn't read the column where have you been? But some some amazing stats for you on essentially something we talk about most weeks and really what we just, it's the epitome of what we just touched upon with Alabama there. It underlines, you know, the fact that he should be top of our Heisman power, but also the fact that he may well miss out in one easy sitting. 30 of 42, 596 yards, eight touchdowns in the first quarter. 24 of 27, 337 yards, four touchdowns in the second quarter. 12 of 19, 228 yards, two touchdowns in the third quarter. None of none, no yards, no touchdowns, fourth quarter. He's never played in the fourth quarter this season. That is astonishing 
when you consider that he is at the top of our Heisman, and not just ours, other Heisman charts as well. It's an astonishing performance that he's been putting in week after week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one stat that you never mentioned within that is um, is interceptions. And there's a reason for that. He hasn't thrown one. He hasn't thrown one. I mean, that's, that, that's insane, isn't it? In college football, that, that is totally, totally insane. And I mean, Jalen Hurts, another very good quarterback, has thrown the ball a lot less and has an interception. But to not throw an interception in your first full season to start, they haven't thrown 88 passes, completed 75% of them. It's insane. It is absolute madness. Thank you for listening. We shall be back next week looking back on some really exciting games. And, and, and things are really beginning to ramp up now. You, you look at some of the games we talked about. Washington, Colorado coming up. LSU, Georgia. LSU, Alabama. Colorado, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Michigan. It, absolutely. Week. There's some just some absolute clout. I mean, look, we haven't even talked about Florida State, Miami. And as bad as Florida State are, this will be a fascinating game because it always is that between these two hated rivals. You go back to some of the wide right games and all those sorts of things. You know, if you don't know what we're talking about, have a look back in your history books. You'll YouTube some of those games and some of those field goals. Or read the last issue. Or read the last issue of the magazine. The Jerry Thomas missed field goal, the Scott Bentleys, all those kind of things. Um, It'll be just a fascinating weekend of college football yet again. Enjoy the games. Uh, Be back with us next weekend. Look out for the video tomorrow, um, previewing some of these games, talking a bit more in depth about these games. I'll be back with the Clancy on Campus column next week. Not my name, but his. And we will be back with the podcast next week to deconstruct all that's happened in college football. Thank you for your time. We will see you then.